Hey guys, and welcome back into the Duke Wisdom Podcast in what is now becoming a much less enthusiastic Duke basketball season. You know, just a couple weeks ago, or a few weeks ago, I suppose, Duke was the number two team in the country preseason, battling Arizona in their second game of the year. You know, neck and neck had a lead a minute to go in that game. If I had told you at that exact moment that on December 4th, Arizona is now the number one team in the country, and Duke is now 22nd. They are five and three. That's that's tough to hear. <laughs> that is a very tough thing to hear. Um, it's rocky, man. You know, when's when's the last time that Duke's dropped three games before the conference slate and back to back years? What happened in Coach K's first two years? In Durham, and well, these are John Shire's first two years, and I think that's easy to forget when when you have this many high level recruits and this many talented players, and the expectations that are bestowed upon Duke, even post Coach K. It's difficult to forget that John Shire is still in his infancy as a head coach. That said, the losses to Arkansas and Georgia Tech back to back last week are disheartening to say the least, and a lot of it was boils down to effort, rotations, and offensive sets. I want to talk about the offensive sets first, because I'm not even going to dive too much into the the nuts and bolts of the actual game itself. I mean, Kyle Filipowski has 12 points. He shoots okay, I guess, from the floor. Uh, Ryan Young doesn't do a whole lot, despite starting, only played 12 minutes. I got to talk about the fact that Tyrese Proctor got hurt a minute into this game. Obviously, that is a huge thing to watch going forward, whether he'll be ready to go, when he'll be ready to go, because that's that's big. That is a huge, huge, huge deal uh, for this Duke team, and it's not something that we can just conveniently uh, shrug off or ignore. His presence, uh, or his absence, rather, will, will be felt, no doubt about that, and that was the last thing you wanted to see in a loss to Georgia Tech was also losing one of your projected lottery picks um mark mitchell um five of 11 from the floor he had 11 points uh you know and i'll briefly talk about the fact that they they got the game back within reach again too little too late is was that was duke's calling card last week they did the same thing against arkansas where they made a push toward the end of the game and it was too little too late well they did enough to take the lead actually and did by two possessions uh, on multiple Mark Mitchell dunks back to back, and he was being aggressive, looked great. That one dunk, and he ends up uh, taunting post dunk, which I hate those calls. I hate technical fouls on stuff like that. But ultimately, you got to know that that's the way they're going to call it, and you can't make it personal. You can scream after the dunk, but you, making it personal was tough. But I'm not going to blame that play for the loss. There's so many reasons why Duke lost this game. And that's just a small one. Um, Mark played an okay game outside of that. Three-point shooting remains pretty pretty darn bad. Uh, Caleb Foster played a pretty good game. He had a couple of stretches where he came up with some big buckets that helped keep Duke in the game. Ultimately, Jared McCain, a pretty, pretty bad game. 3 of 10 from the floor, 6 points. 0 of 3 from 3. Sean Stewart barely plays. I'll talk more about that. 
TJ Power plays, but again, he doesn't shoot enough. He's in there to be a three-point shooter. He doesn't shoot enough. I'll talk about it. He had three points. Jalen Blake's played some minutes. He played some some hard-nosed defense, got a really stellar block, but he also, uh, man, he airballed like two threes and just offensively wasn't bringing a whole lot to the table. Want to join a community of Duke accounts publishing news, theories, and predictions on Duke athletics? Join the Duke Wisdom Network. Just go to dukewisdom.org slash join network today and fill out the form with your name and social media. Or you can DM at Duke underscore wisdom on Twitter or Instagram. Become a part of the community of Duke fans publishing their takes today. Again, that's dukewisdom.org slash join network to DM at Duke underscore wisdom on Twitter or Instagram. So I talked about the, the things to talk about or, you know, rotations and offensive set are two very big deals. And so I'll talk about kind of the offensive sets. I, I'm not opposed to three guard lineups. I, I never have been. I like the idea of what they can bring to the table. But idealistically, when you play a three guard lineup, you're, that is, you're supposed to gain speed and you're supposed to gain three-point shooting. Uh, I covered the Duke women's basketball game against South Carolina. By the way, they played very well through three quarters, but it got away from them in the fourth uh, against number one, the number one team in the country. But Carol Lawson talked about it in the postgame presser. She's talking about, you know, South Carolina's a much bigger team. Duke's a much smaller team. Idealistically, that's supposed to mean they're going to play really fast and uh, hit a bunch of threes. They did hit a good number of threes, uh, but her team didn't play super quickly. That is very much the case with John Shire's team, which plays three guard lineups from, from tip to buzzer. There is almost never a time in which three guard lineups aren't used, although against Georgia Tech, there were times that it wasn't used. It was often Ryan Young uh, in just a few spot minutes where Ryan Young would be at the five, Mark Mitchell at the four, and TJ Power at three. And so basically, I'm I don't love I don't love the three guard lineup because it's not producing the intended results. Duke does not play quickly at all. They are not shooting a good clip from three uh, at all. And the ball movement's just almost non-existent at times, where it's just three or four guards on the perimeter, whipping passes around, dribble into the paint, don't get anywhere, uh, retreat outside until one of the guards can find dribble penetration and take it themselves. There's some screening, uh, but the roller is very seldom hit uh, post-screen. There is very little cutting, uh, not a whole lot of play action going on. The offense is ugly. The offense is stagnant. And at the end of the day, that comes down to what ro- what rotations you're putting on the floor, because because at the end of the, they're not just playing three guard lineups; they're playing four guard lineups a lot of the times. There are times where it's four basically. I've talked about this in past weeks, but there's four basically four point guards on that floor, and how are they? How is that rotation going to pick and roll effectively? How is Caleb Foster going to pick and roll with Jeremy Roach effectively, like really well? It doesn't work as well. Just spacing-wise, it's not great. Um, and the, the way the offense is set up isn't great. Um, they gotta, He's got to scrap. I don't ever want to see four, of, four guards on the floor at the same time for the rest of the season. I know I won't get that wish. There will 100% still be three-guard lineups. 
no doubt in my mind. However, I think if Tyrese Proctor is out and he's going to miss some time, can we at the very least see some some rotations not involving three guards? Three, you know, small guards, I mean. Like, can we get some rotations where it's like Roach, Foster, Power, Mitchell, Filipowski, or Mitchell, Filipowski, Stewart? My dream lineup would be Roach, Proctor, Mitchell, Filipowski, Stewart. Run that. Because let Kyle Filipowski run the four. That's his natural position. He's playing out of position at the five. He's being expected to hold down Fort, not only defensively, but play as a post player offensively. And they don't hit him as, as, a, as a roller, and he's not able to get his three-point shot going. He's, he's been pretty poor from three recently. And if he can't do that, then you're just pigeonholing him into the paint. He's not being nearly as productive as he could be offensively, and he can be extremely productive offensively. But instead, the shots he's getting are highly contested chippers, which he his game just doesn't promote. A lot of people are like, well, he's taking it soft to the rim. That might be true, but that's just not his play style. His play style isn't finishing over multiple defenders in the post like on low block catches. That's not Kyle Filipowski, and I think it's a mistake to uh, reduce his game to that. Um, Mark Mitchell at the four... Seems like the only option at the moment because of the poor three-point shooting. I understand that. I do. But I still want to experiment with throwing him back at the three. I mean, they did it last season. They were very successful in lineups that had Mark Mitchell at at the three. And it's funny because Mark Mitchell, when he's in the game, Duke's way worse, way worse of an offensive rebounding team with Mitchell in at the four than they are with him not in the game. So that means either Stewart in or... Um, a four card lineup. Jerry McCain's a pretty good rebounder for a guard, I must say, but there's no, there's no movement of the ball. There's, there are very few good plays run. And you can see that sort of just by their attempt there at the end of the game, that it was a catch for Roach. Um, and then he just dribbles in nothing. And, so it's frustrating watching the offense play, but it's frustrating seeing the roles of the players. I, I, I don't love the way that some of them are being used. TJ Powers coming into the game. Uh, he's getting more minutes. He played a, you know, a, a couple of solid games and then he ended up playing 16 minutes. That's great. I think TJ Power should maybe even play even more than 16 minutes. That's so lovely. But like, if you're going to put him in the game, TJ Power is a guy who can get in and hit, mid-range jumpers, and he is maybe and probably the team's best three-point shooter. So if you're going to put him in for extended periods, run plays for him. If you're going to have him in at the end of the game where a three would win the game, drop a play for him. He may have drawn that play up for him, and it just went awry. I think that could even possibly have been the case. Uh, But they always put the ball in the hands of the senior. Sometimes it doesn't work. See Grayson Allen senior season where he whiffed a bunch of looks that could have won games when the ball maybe probably should have been Gary Trent's hands. I'm not saying put the ball in TJ Powers' hands for every buzzer beater uh, opportunity Duke gets this season, but I am saying when TJ Powers is in the game, draw up plays, get him looks, get him, make him a high-volume three-point shooter because otherwise he, he's so much less useful. He's just kind of out there. If you're not drawing up plays for him to get like four, five, three-point looks a game, uh, at least that many a game, 
And he'll hit, if he shoots four or five threes a game, he's going to hit at least two of them. He's going to bring you at least six points per game off those threes. He might even hit three. If he's having a good day, he's going to hit four of those. You get him more than five looks, he can give you double digits. Any game. I truly believe that because I think he's that good of a shooter. If he's out there only to shoot two times, why is he out there? You know, like, I truly believe in using TJ Power and giving him minutes, but if you're giving him minutes, use him. Let him shoot. Draw plays to get him shots instead of just aimless driving to nothings from the point guards. Um, Sean Stewart plays just two minutes. Still trying to wrap my head around the fact that Duke played two teams this week with athletic bigs and decided that it was fine to just run Kyle Filipowski and Ryan Young at center interchangeably the whole game and basically just throw Sean Stewart into the bin. Now, did Sean Stewart do anything in the minutes that he had? No, but he only played two minutes. And I think that there is a use for him defensively because of his athleticism. I think there is a use for him offensively because of his ability to be a lob threat on the back line, one, two, create better spacing, better synergy and movement just as a natural basketball unit and not for six foot five guys or less, uh, which is not working. And also to give Kyle Filipowski the chance to play his natural position as a stretch four and get him out of the five. John Stewart has a lot of use on this team and he should play more than two minutes. I'll put it at that. Um, it's, it's getting frustrating. It's getting frustrating. And it is a, I really hate that Tyrese Proctor went down. Um, great kid with, I hope it doesn't affect his draft stock too much in the long run. Uh, hopefully it's not a serious injury and he's able to get back as soon as possible. Duke does have a week in between games, but if he is going to miss some time, can we see some some different lineup sets? Some more, some Sean Stewart at the five, some TJ Power playing more minutes, getting more looks, um, more two guard lineups instead of three and four. Try something different, movement, constant movement, and then some passion because a lot of the times. Duke's offense is so stagnant and the way they're playing is just so so non-dynamic that they look like they're unimpassioned. And I know that's not the case. Obviously, it's not. These are Division I basketball players at Duke. These guys want to win. They want to win. But the play style they're running with right now makes the play look lazy. Um, I don't see, I also don't see a reason defensively. Why Duke can't run more, you know, three force press and full court press earlier on in the game? It had a lot of success turning over Arkansas at the end of the game, had some success turning over Georgia Tech when they apply pressure. Why not apply pressure quicker? The same intensity that that Arkansas and Georgia Tech met Duke with when they're on their home court, you know, all hyped up to play. Why can't Duke do that? Why can't Duke come out? you know, all hyped up to play and play with that level of intensity defensively. Because when you play with that level of intensity defensively, it is infectious to the offensive game and it will put some life into a very lifeless Duke offense at the moment. There, there are a lot of problems. Um, and now that I've talked about those problems, let's talk about the fact that 
this isn't over. It's going to be a longer season than we anticipated. No doubt about it. They're going to lose more games than anticipated. No doubt about it. Duke was a nine seed in January last season. They weren't ranked almost the entire season. And yet they were still a favorite to go to the final four when the bracket was announced. This season is not over. Do not quit on this team. This is a second year coach who is a very smart coach. He's, he's just learning. I'm, I'm being very critical in this episode about coaching decisions, lineups, rotations, use of players. But that's just because that is what the issue is. But that doesn't mean I, I don't think that it can be fixed. Uh, and that doesn't mean that I don't think it will be fixed. John Shire is a good head coach. I truly believe that. He's just a young head coach. And being a young head coach comes with its hiccups. Oh, Duke's experiencing one of those hiccups right now. Give it time. Allow Shire and his staff to adjust. Make the proper changes necessary. Define roles for players. Define sets that they want to run. And, uh, and a different style. Shire said it himself that he and his staff are going to need to do a little bit of looking in the mirror and reevaluate some things. And I think that's what they're going to do. And, and hopefully against Charlotte next Saturday, they come out and rejuvenated and they are ready to, to do a few things different. And even if we don't see too much structural change, that's fine because it's been a week ultimately. And the players have exams, you know, be sympathetic to that. If you don't see too much change, you're like, oh, it's so much of the same stuff, you know, blah, 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 blah. Well, the players have exams. There's only so much practice, only so much change that can be implemented within a week after all. But the main thing you want to see against Charlotte is just effort, just high intensity defense. I want to see high intensity defense lean in and create high intensity offense. That's what I, that's just all I want to see is a high level of energy. And, you know, whatever happens from that point happens. Just if they bring a high level of energy, that is progress. That is enough progress for the next game. I think that, that some people are overreacting a bit, but this, but I will say there are some big games coming up. Charlotte's no pushover. It's not going to be the easiest game in the world. Um, but the next game after that, is against Hofstra. That's a trap game. Hofstra's a pretty good team. Uh, that's definitely a trap game. Don't look past that one. Don't pull a Southern Indiana in that one. The game after that, assuming Duke can win the next two games, is the most important game of Duke's season. And I sincerely mean that. If Duke wins the next two games, that puts the Blue Devils at 7-3. and three. They do not want to be 7-4 and four heading into or I guess eight and four if they beat Queens after. Uh, but they don't want to be like eight and four heading into the main part of conference slate. And they don't want to go one and three amongst those four preseason ranked teams they had scheduled. And the one win being against a team that is very much not ranked anymore. Duke needs to beat Baylor. That is easier said than done. Bears are undefeated. Uh, I've got them sixth ranked in the country right now. They're solid. That is not going to be an easy game to win. But if Duke wants to get a high seed in the NCAA tournament and prove that they're still the real deal, they can't wait until February. They can't wait for that because they might accumulate too many losses 
and lose the chance to gain big wins. Michigan State might turn into a big win by the end of the season, and that would be great for Duke. But the only other opportunity they have outside of conference play to pick up a big win is Baylor. They don't want to be 8-4 and four or 7-4 and four after that game, and they would really want to pick up a win over Baylor. That is, in my opinion, it really is the most important game of the season for Duke. It's disappointing to lose to Georgia Tech. The only time uh, since I've been watching them play, keep in mind I'm pretty young, but that they've lost to Georgia Tech was in 2021, and they missed the tournament that season. Let's hope they don't repeat history with a, a missed tur- a Georgia Tech loss, meaning a missed tournament. That would be a catastrophic failure for this team. I don't think that will be the case. I really don't think that will be the case. Duke is losing very winnable games in a very close fashion. They're losing by five or less points every time. Um, and that's with Duke playing horribly, looking bad, and you know, still could have feasibly come out with a win in all three of those games they've lost. And so I think that says something, that the talent is so good that even though they look so bad on paper and structurally in the way they play, it's so bad, but they're still in these games. So if they just fix some of the nuts and bolts, this team is a national contender still. Don't give up on them after eight games. We just got to December. This is a very young season. The bulk of play is still ahead of them. Trust that John Shot, he is he has done very good things for this program already in his first one plus years uh, as the head man. And trust that he he will make proper adjustments and he will get this team where it needs to be by March. Um it might not be as pretty as it always was with Coach K. Of course, that's going to be the case. Coach K is literally one of the greatest coaches in basketball history, if not the greatest. And so, of course, his 36-year-old successor is not going to immediately be him because he's 36. Coach K at 36 wasn't Coach K uh, in 2010, you know? He wasn't Coach K in 1992. It takes time, and it takes patience from fans. Uh, Duke fans as a whole, and you know I know this better than anybody, Duke fans are, are a little spoiled. They get the riches constantly. But, you know, and it's, no, it's nothing bad to expect greatness from a great program. Duke is a program now that demands greatness every season without fail. But... There will be some bumps along the road. There's so much more parity in college basketball now. and Not everything is linear. So anticipate some more bumps in the ride, but hopefully it will become a more upward trajectory as the season goes. I'm not going to rule out that it could get worse from here, but at some point it will get better, and that is the trust you have to have. Uh, so thanks for coming to my TED Talk. Um. I'll talk for a minute about Duke football, actually. Let's talk about Duke, Duke football for just a minute. Uh, Riley Leonard enters the transfer portal. Uh, I hate the state of college basketball, or not college basketball, of college athletics, and especially college football now, that it's basically like he had been 
recruited long before he decided to officially transfer. And you really can't blame him with Elko not there and everybody bailing. He's doing what's best for him to make it the NFL. He had a very eloquently put um, message about him transferring that was appreciated. And he spoke very fondly of his time at Duke. Duke's losing other players in the portal. They drew Troy in the Birmingham Bowl, which they're now the uh, underdog by a touchdown for, which is crazy. But ultimately, with Duke having the losses they've had and everything that's happened, I probably wouldn't predict them to beat almost anyone in a bowl game, but you never know. College athletics and heart are a, are a big thing, and maybe this Duke team can pull out something in a big way. But I, I don't envy the the Duke remaining Duke coaching staff because they are now tasked with the responsibility of re-recruiting and retaining every player on that roster and every recruit they have incoming in any class, and that is such a tough thing to do. And so they are in a really dreadful position right now. And it sucks that it feels like Duke football can't get better. Because it's like if Duke brings in a good coach and he does well with the program, a larger program is going to throw him a bag and he'll leave, just like Elko did. Or Duke will bring in a coach that doesn't do well and then, well, they just remain at the same level that they're at. It feels like it's almost impossible for them to improve. The, the system has made it impossible for Duke to get better. And especially with the transfer portal and the players just jumping ship for better schools. Notre Dame looks like they, they're going to take Riley Leonard. I mean, they took um, Hartman from Wake Forest. You know, what did they even need to do? They just steal players basically from uh, programs that aren't as, as successful uh, traditionally. And it's, it's really frustrating. And it feels like the ACC is jumping off a cliff this week because of football, all because of football, because Florida State misses the college football playoffs despite being 13-0. They're the first Power 5 conference champion at 13-0 to not make the college football playoffs. And it's basically, to me, it's like the committee saying, screw you, Florida State. Go join one of the big boy conferences that make us money that are going to – that are." these big cash cow conferences, go join one of them, let the ACC die. You can't make it in the ACC is the message that Florida State's receiving. And it's just so horrible what what all of this conference realignment and what college football and the chasing of dollars has done to college athletics. I have no problem with money being a part of it. It's a part of everything. Absolutely. But it feels like every other sport is just getting tossed. And Duke's getting a real shorthand because it's so difficult for them to improve in football in this landscape. And But football is almost the only factor that anyone cares about when doing conference realignment. Duke has one of the most valuable basketball programs in the country. And to a lot of conferences, that doesn't matter at all because the football team's not very valuable. It's frustrating. Duke football and college football as a whole are incredibly frustrating. The ACC's position right now is incredibly frustrating. We'll have to see how it develops as we move forward. Um, a frustrating pro uh, week for Duke 
a frustrating podcast <laughs> this this Tuesday. Um, I'll talk to you guys again uh, on Thursday. At least that's the hope. Do a little bit more of a preview on Charlotte, and I'll come up with some ideas for for to fill the uh, the time <laughs> a lot that I do for this podcast. But as always, thanks for listening, guys. I hope I wasn't overly negative and didn't put too much of a damper on your day. Thanks for listening. Follow Duke Wisdom on Instagram and Twitter. Follow, subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening, and I'll talk to you guys Thursday.